Let's turn to Luke chapter 15. Now we're going to read the whole chapter. It consists of three parables that Jesus spoke. And we're going to consider part of the third parable. But to understand this, we ought to read and keep in mind the whole chapter. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Then drew near unto him, that's Jesus, all the publicans and sinners, for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmuring, murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Then he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than the ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either that woman having ten pieces of silver if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Now here begins the passage we consider tonight. It's this morning, isn't it? And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his field to feed swine or pigs. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. And the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now that's where our text ends, but the, the parable continues. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. 
And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him and fat the fatted calf, that thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. So far we read God's holy, inspired word. This parable, known as the parable of the prodigal son, and sometimes the lost son, was occasioned by criticism that the Pharisees and the scribes leveled against Jesus. We read in verse 1 of this chapter, publicans and sinners drew nigh to Jesus to hear him. Now publicans, as you recall, were tax collectors, and they were infamous for their dishonesty. The word sinners here refers to those who did not live up to the exact standards that the Pharisees and the scribes set for themselves and for the people. Yes, some of those sinners were harlots and robbers and thieves and embezzlers, but for the most part, they were those who didn't abide by the strictures of the Pharisees. These were the ones that most often were attracted to Jesus' ministry, and Jesus received them, even ate with them. And that brought the criticism of the Pharisees and the scribes. This man receiveth sinners, they said, and eats with them. The implication is that Jesus cannot be the promised Savior or the Messiah, as he says, and as others are saying. He eats with sinners. Behind this criticism was the dreadful error of works righteousness or self-righteousness. These Pharisees thought that they were righteous before God on the basis of their own good works that they present to God. They had kept the law, so they thought perfectly. And that obedience was their righteousness before God and the basis for all of God's favor now and in eternity. What sinful, arrogant pride. We have kept the law of God perfectly. We are worthy of ourselves. And that error had far-reaching effects on the outlook of the Pharisees. They were 200 percenters. They had completely lost sight of the heart of the law, love God, love your neighbor. Their obedience was only outward and formal, and they added to God's law many, many, law upon law, precept upon precept of their own making, all the while neglecting love. That made them very quick to condemn those who did not live up to their standards. And it took away any concept of forgiveness. They didn't know a God who could forgive. They had never experienced forgiveness. They didn't need it. And neither, therefore, could they find it to forgive 
those who had sinned. Only condemnation. In response, Jesus spoke three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost or prodigal son. The word prodigal, by the way, means given to reckless extravagance, characterized by wasteful spending. Now, each of these parables emphasizes that God is the one who seeks and saves lost sinners. Each of these parables emphasizes a little different aspect of this truth. The parable that we have before us this morning emphasizes the willingness of God to take back those who come to him in true repentance. No matter how far his people wander, no matter what their sin, he is eager and willing to take back those who come to him in repentance. The prodigal son. As we consider this, we must see that we must identify ourselves with the prodigal son, who day by day wander away from our father in thought, word, and deed. Whether it's public or not, whether it's great in our eyes or great in the eyes of others, every day we are that prodigal son that wanders away from our Father. And we must be this prodigal son who comes to his senses and returns to the Father in repentance. We must be that son. And we will see in this parable that in the way of that repentance and returning to the Father every day, God, our Heavenly Father, graciously and lovingly receives us back and restores us. The prodigal son is the title of this sermon. We notice, first of all, his waywardness, secondly, his repentance, and finally, his restoration. The waywardness of this prodigal son. The details are found in verses 11 through 13 of this chapter. We read, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Obviously, this second son, this younger son, wanted to be free of his father's restraints. He'd grown up in his father's house, known his father's love and care. There were rules to follow, and he was weary of it. He wanted out. But that required money. So he asked for his share of the inheritance. Since the eldest would always receive double of all the others in inheritance, that means that the oldest son would receive two-thirds of the inheritance and this younger son would receive one-third. And although that required breaking up his estate, the father granted the son's request and gave him his inheritance. And we read, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey to a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living, far away, as far away as he could from his father's house. He didn't want his father's influence. He didn't want his father to know what he was doing. 
He was rejecting his father far away as possible. And he wasted his substance in riotous living. He lived wantingly, wantonly. Wine, women, and song. That wasn't the life that his father wanted for him. That was not the life his father trained him to live. But that's what he gave himself over to. And in the process, he wasted all that the father had given to him so that he was broke. He was destitute. And it didn't take very long. Now that's a picture of us. Bear in mind that parables serve to illustrate the realities of the kingdom of heaven. Within the kingdom of heaven, God is our Father in Jesus Christ. He's our Father because, first of all, in Christ He adopted us as His children. But also in Christ, through a new birth, He transforms us so that we are His image. From this we may conclude that in this parable, the Father represents the living God who is our Father in Jesus Christ. This wayward Son represents the true children of God that are much inclined to wander, to wander away from God's love, from His care, from His fellowship. Daily, sometimes far away from their father. And how is that? These adopted children, these born-again children, well, the work of grace isn't finished, is it, in them? And not in us. And that's a very powerful, powerful thing. And it leads us away from our father, in one way or another, every day. Now, there's that other son, the oldest son, the faithful, so to speak, son. He represents here the self-righteous Pharisees that appeared outwardly to be the children of God, very zealous in their service of God, but show that they really aren't the children of God in that they are not willing to forgive those who repent and turn back to the Father. Let's focus now on how we too are much inclined to wander away from our Father. First John 3, verse 1. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God? Let's look at that a moment. We talked about the fact that God is our Father. In Jesus Christ, having adopted us, we were, we were born the the children of the devil, because of the fall. In Christ, he adopts us as his sons and daughters and heirs. And then also through a mighty work of grace, he transforms us into his own image and gives us a place in his covenant home and family. And that's us. We belong to the family of God. And it was God's love, God's love for us. That brought us here. What manner of love. He took us. Who hated him. Who were his enemies. 
adopted us, transformed us, gave us a place in his covenant home, and he draws near to us so that we enjoy in Jesus Christ an intimate life of friendship and fellowship. Now you fathers and mothers, don't you do that with the children you have? You love them. You don't just separate yourself from them. You don't just turn your back upon them and let them grow up. They're in your home. You draw near to them at the supper table, after supper. Well, that's what God does. And that nearness to God becomes a reality when through the scriptures. This is God's word to us, words of love. And we respond by grace and prayer, communicating with God. It's through his word and prayer of faith that we enjoy the nearness of God's love. And he has given us a law to regulate our life with him in his home and covenant and church. Those are the Ten Commandments, which we read again this morning. The basic requirement of which is love God, love your neighbor. And in that law, we're taught how to show that love to God and to our neighbor. And the emphasis there is negative. Don't do this, don't do that. That's not love. And that negative emphasis is because we're so inclined to go that way because of our sinful nature, but also implied in every negative prohibition, there is a positive requirement, how to show our love to God, love to our neighbor. And in that way, and in the keeping of that law, there is great blessing. Psalm 119, verse 1, Blessed are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Psalm 125, verse 1, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. Blessing is even promised to us in the law, in the second commandment. Now I've got to catch where it starts. Well, let me say the whole thing. I shall not take... Uh, Oh, boy. <laughs> As you get older, you know, things don't always come up right. <laughs> he promises mercy unto thousands of them that love him and keep his commandments. There, I think long enough I got it. All right, and not only that, does he promise that in Jesus Christ, but he also empowers us as his children by faith and through his word, to keep the commandments, at least to begin to keep the commandments and to enjoy the blessings promised in the way of obedience in Christ. But we are inclined repeatedly to take this for granted, to become weary of the law, even sometimes to despise the law the law tells us things we may do and our sinful nature wants desperately to do them. And the law tell, gives us responsibilities and our sinful nature doesn't want to do that. Our sinful nature is 
distracted by all the pleasures of sin and all the promises of sin for the good life and for joy. And so, day by day, to one degree or another, being distracted by our sinful nature, we fall short of the law and we wander away from our Father in disobedience and not walking in love. And there are times when God's people can wander far, far away for a long period of time, breaking fellowship with God. And sometimes even the church and the covenant family. In the process, we waste our father's substance, as this young man did in the parable. When we use the physical substance God gave to us, our earthly possessions, not in the service of God, but in the service of sin, we're wasting our substance. When we neglect sinfully our marriage or our children, we're wasting our substance. When we don't use the gifts and the opportunities that God gives us to serve him and to serve our neighbor in love, we're wasting our substance. And there are sad, sad consequences to all this. This was true for the prodigal son in the parable. We read, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. Notice, a mighty famine involving the whole land. It left little to eat for anyone, much less for one who has squandered all his money. And this brought the son, this wayward son, to the bottom of degradation. First he hired on with a citizen of that country to feed pigs. That was the lowest degradation for a Jew. Pork was considered unclean. There was a parable, may a curse come upon the man who cares for swine. Well, that's where this young man was. And then there was hunger. He hired on to a farmer who had pigs and the pigs were given husks to eat. That was literally pods of a carob tree. That's what the poor sometimes when they were desperate would eat. But this was being fed to the pigs. And for some reason he was not even allowed to eat the food that was given to the swine. What bad consequences this young man faced for his waywardness. And that's a picture of what happens to us when we wander away into sin. Sin always has sad consequences. Sin always promises good things. Sin, as it's developed by the world, as it's lived in the world, as it's brought to us, and when we're bombarded with it all, every side, that sin promises a good life. And sin says to us, what is there in serving God? You can't do this, you can't do that. Look at all you miss out on. Ignore the, law, the, the, ignore the rules of your father. 
This is the way to happiness and success. But it never delivers. It never delivers what it promises. Sin interrupts our fellowship and experience with God's nearness. Remember David and his great sin against Bathsheba? Covered it up, he thought, by killing her husband in war. And then after living in that sin, and then coming to his senses through the rebuke of Nathan the prophet, and then being restored, he writes in Psalm 51, verses 11 and 12, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. That's a picture of what happened to him. His experience was that God cast him out of his presence. The Holy Spirit was taken from him. He lost the joy of salvation. That's what sin does. And it also damages our relationship with our family, our marriages, with our children. It damages our relationship with the church. And when sin is stubbornly pursued, it can even break and destroy our relationships completely. And then there are certain sins that bring sad results, disease, poverty, even death. And that's God's judgment upon sin. And when that judgment comes upon his children who wander away, that's his chastisement. It's done in love, it's delivered in love to bring his people, his wayward sons and daughters, to their senses and back to him. So that's the first point. Now let's talk about the repentance of this son. We read in verse 17 that this wayward son came to himself. There he is feeding pigs, hungry, can't even, can't even have the, the food that the pigs eat, and he came to himself. That means he finally began to reflect on his situation, realizing how foolish he had been, he came to his senses. He had rejected his father's love, he rejected his father's home, rejected his father's rules to live a life of wanton sin and pleasure, and the choice had brought him to want and to hunger. Look where it all brought him. And now he thought differently about his father's home that he had despised and fled. He wished he could be restored. His father did love him. His father did care for him. And he saw now that the rules that the father had in his home were not bad. They were good to keep him from doing what he had done and ending up in disaster as he did. He came to his senses. And he saw that his father's hired servants, that were men hired on a daily basis to work in his, in his father's field, had it better than he did. He would be happy just to be 
received back to be one of those, those hired hands. He came to himself. And that's what we must do as we deal every day with sin. We must come to ourselves. We must come to our senses. Sin always involves taking leave of our sanctified spiritual senses. It does. Daily, we must consider our sinful course of actions. Oh, sin promised us so much. I've asked more than once someone who was living in sin and wanted to continue. Well, how's that working out for you? How's that working out for you? You're living in the street. You're dirty. You're filthy. Your life's a shambles. How's that working out for you? If you come to your senses, you consider your sinful course of action and the bad consequences that they have brought. And then having come to that realization, you reconsider and reassess your father's house. Yeah, that law that I ignored. Didn't think it was so important. That law that I despised because I, I wanted to do differently. That, that law is good. And the care and the fellowship that I took for granted and despised I want that back. We are often brought to this point by the sad consequences of sin, and that's the first step of repentance. You come to yourself. Next we learn of the resolve of this wayward son, verses 18 and 19. He would confess that he sinned. Let me read that, verses 18 and 19. I will rise and go to my father. I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He would confess his sins. He would acknowledge his sin. He would humble himself before, before his father and before God in heaven. No, he wouldn't just say, I made a mistake. He did, but he would say more. I've sinned. He wouldn't blame his father and say, well, you know, I know I, I wanted off and it was foolish, but look what you did. You're partly responsible. No, no, no. No self-justification. No minimizing. No blame shifting. I have sinned. Against heaven and before you. And I am no more worthy to be called your son. Please, just hire me like your servants who work in the field and give me a daily wage so that I can at least have something to eat and have decent clothes on my back. True repentance means that we have the, re the same resolve as we turn to our Heavenly Father. To return to the Father as wayward sinners is to seek forgiveness and rec reconciliation with God so that he takes us back and the fellowship that we have hurt, perhaps even lost for a time, is restored. 
No, when we come to the Father, we mustn't make all kinds of excuses to explain away what we did or to justify ourselves. I remember an elder and myself meeting with a young man who was going to get married the next day to a divorced woman. And he said, you know, I know what the law says, but God will understand. He'll understand. I'm going to do it anyway. It's going to be all right. No, none of that. None of that. When we come to God and return to him, we must humble ourselves before God and before men and own up to our sins and confess them in godly sorrow. And then we must understand that we are not worthy to be called the sons of God. No, we mustn't do like this wayward son in the parable, say, Lord, uh, Father, just make me one of your servants. No, no, we must be asked to be restored to our position of honor in the house of God of sons and daughters. And we must do so on the basis of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ for sin. No, the basis isn't, well, I did, I did some good in the past, don't forget that, or I, I promised to do better. No, leave that all out. The perfect sacrifice of Christ for my sins. Father, forgive me. Father, take me back. Restore me to the blessedness of your fellowship. That's repentance. Finally, we learned that this wayward son carried out his resolve. And he arose and came to his father. Verse 20. There are many pious resolutions that are never carried out. This young man did. It must have been a long, hard journey for this young man, this wayward son. He went, had gone to a faraway country. He was destitute. He had no shoes. He was dressed in rags. He was hungry. What a long journey. What would my dad say? Will he take me back? But he persevered. And finally he stood before his father to confess his sins. And we must do the same. It's often a hard journey to return to our father to confess our sins and reconciliation with him. True confession and coming back to the Father requires that we forsake the sins that have become so, so pleasurable to us, that we perhaps have minimized as far as their seriousness because we wanted them. You know, each one of us has certain weaknesses. I have weaknesses. You do too, and it's not always the same. We share certain things. We can easily minimize. Yeah, I know it's wrong, but it's not so bad. Sometimes the sons and daughters of God cultivate these sins. And they live two lives. Well, we must forsake those things that have become pleasurable and perhaps those sins that even come to dominate our lives, because that's what happens with sin. We must forsake them. And sometimes that requires that we forsake friendships that we have formed and that are dear to us. And 
It often requires that we confess our sins and make amends to those around us whom we have hurt. Let me just give you one example of an alcoholic. The Bible calls it a drunkard. That's a sin that's cultivated. Sometimes it started because it's used, alcohol is used to medicate, take away anxiety, supposedly take away depression. Sometimes it's to be accepted. But slowly but surely, sin, that sin of drunkenness takes over, becomes the master of an alcoholic. And you understand, an alcoholic doesn't just have the problem of addiction, physical addiction to alcohol. It's a whole way of thinking. It's a whole way of life. It's a whole way of having certain kinds of friends. All that has to be abandoned. And it often requires that you go back. It is required. Those who live in drunkenness for years leave a path of destruction behind them. A wake of destruction. And they have to go back and make amends and confess and do what they can to right the wrongs. That's a long, long, hard journey. But one who is truly repentant will make that hard journey in the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the third point, the restoration of this young man. What a warm reception the wayward son received as he returned to his father. There are several elements here. We read in verse 20, And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. This indicates that his son was never far away from the heart and mind of this father. He had been looking for his son to return. Day by day, he would look down the road, Will my son be back today? Maybe tomorrow, not today. I'll look again. In turn, we are never far from God's heart when we stray into sin. Unlike the limitations of a parable, when we stray, whether day by day or farther, longer in our life, the Father accompanies us in His love. And it's He that brings us back. We read further, the father of the parable had compassion and ran and fell on the neck of his son and kissed him. Notice how eager the father was to have his son back. He was filled with compassion. He saw his son coming, dressed in rags, barefoot, lean because he was starving. And his heart went out. His heart broke for his son. And he ran eagerly to meet him, even though it was not dignified for an older man to do this. He ran, and he fell on his son's neck, and he kissed his son in joy. And quickly his father forgave him. The son was going to confess his sins, and the father didn't even let him do it all. And the son said unto his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. And he was going to go on to ask for forgiveness and to be given a place at least of a servant. But his father said to the servants, the father wouldn't even let him, let him finish. He was so eager to have his son back. Didn't make his son grovel before him. Can't even make the full request. 
he takes his son back. That reflects our God. He is filled with compassion when we sin. Not just when we return, but always. He's the God of mercy. And when he sees us stray into sin, he's full of compassion, knowing that we've separated ourselves to one degree or another from his fellowship. And even though he's the one who brings the sad consequences upon us to bring us back, he is deeply affected. And when we do return by the power of the Spirit and confess our sins, he embraces us enthusiastically. And he doesn't make us grovel before him or rebuke us, but very quickly he forgives. He assures us in his word, and he assures every repentant sinner, no matter how far they've gone, no matter what sin they've committed, I forgive you. I forgive you. Welcome back. Welcome. Welcome back. Now bear in mind that sometimes wayward sinners struggle to hear that because of the nature of their sins, the length of their sins, the depth of their sins. Often when someone gives themselves over to sin, they sear their conscience and they shut out the word of God that speaks to them. Sometimes their sin is so great in their eyes they can't imagine ever being forgiven. And so there is a, a time that they have to be instructed and helped and be taught your sins are forgiven. Embrace what the word of God says. Well, anyway, all this led to the restoration and celebration. The father restored his son to his home and to his former place. He ordered the best robe to be put upon him, fit not for a servant but for a son. He ordered a signet ring for his hand, a sign that he was now back in a position of authority in his father's business. He ordered sandals for his feet. The servants that he hired went barefoot. And he ordered the fatted calf to be slaughtered. Reserved only for special occasions. And this is what the Lord does for us. He restores us to our place. To enjoy his fellowship and friendship when we turn back to him from sin. And if our sin is public and has brought shame or has hurt others, when there is repentance, the Lord restores such a sinner to his house by working in the hearts of his other sons and daughters to receive that repentance sinner. Those who can't and won't receive such a repentant sinner are to be identified with that third son who didn't know how to forgive and who was a member of the kingdom in name only.
and there was a celebration. Let us eat and be merry. That's true in the parable. They had a feast. They celebrated. And the reason? For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He was dead to me because he was lost. I lost my son. He was, he was as much as dead. But now he's found again. He's alive. He's back. And that's true also in the kingdom of heaven. This my son was lost. And he was dead. But now he's found. And he's alive. And there is rejoicing. The Father, our Heavenly Father, rejoices when we as wayward sinners come back to him in the way of repentance and confession. And there is joy in heaven. That's emphasized by Jesus, not in this parable, but the two parables before this. The parable of the, the, the lost sheep. The shepherd left the 99 back and he went and found the lost sheep. And we read in verse 7, then he said to another, and got the wrong chapter here. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons that need no repentance. And verse 10, the parable of the lost coin. Likewise I say unto you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And there is that joy also in the household of faith when one sinner repenteth. There's joy in heaven, there's joy here on the earth, in the church. That's the way it should be. So in conclusion, remember the occasion for this parable. We are given assurance here that as repentant sinners, we are embraced by our Heavenly Father who is quick to forgive and to restore. And the next thing is, we are taught to rejoice with the Father and with the angels in heaven at the repentance of sinners. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Amen. Father in heaven, thanks for thy word. Thanks for thy love. Thanks for the Forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ to all who repent in faith. And Lord, give us daily to see our own sins, to repent, to return, and to find forgiveness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.